Well, good evening, church. My wife and I are so thankful to be with you this evening, and uh, we are thrilled to be here. I believe that's on. All right. Yes. Well, we are so excited to be here and to share with you what God is doing in the United Kingdom. As Pastor said, my name is Jonathan Heaton. My wife, Gracie, is sitting over here next to the rest of the Heatons. And Phil, I think you just need to mark it down. He said, the more Heatons, the better. You just sign it, date it, put the time on there. And any time in the future, just bring it up. Say, Pastor, you said, <laughs> amen, yes. No, my wife and I, we're so thrilled to be here and to share with you what God is doing in the United Kingdom. And uh, Gracie and I, we're both graduates of Crown College just here in Powell. And uh, during our time there at Crown, we had the opportunity of traveling over to the United Kingdom. And uh, there is an extension campus in the UK, Crown United Kingdom. And uh, we were able to spend, um, Gracie and I both spent a semester there together. And then the Lord opened up the door, and I was able to go back for another semester, then stay a summer as an internship, and so I got to spend the entire year there. And uh, the Lord, while I was there, called me to preach, and uh, called me to the mission field. And then uh, when I came back from there, just long story short, the Lord worked it out and led Gracie and I together. When we were there in the same student group, we were just friends. We were nothing more than that. But the Lord, about a year later, led us together, and uh, we were married in 2018, and then... um, about the next year serving there at Temple Baptist Church, the Lord confirmed in our hearts the call to the United Kingdom. And so we are going back to join a team of church planning missionaries. Today, there are already five couples that are in the United Kingdom, and that will actually change as of Tuesday. There will be six couples. One of our friends are flying out to join the team. Um, but in the United Kingdom, there's five couples there. They've already planted five churches in the city or in the country of England, and then they're planting their sixth church plant in the country of Wales. And um, here's something amazing, church, that God is doing. God has opened the door where we are having church buildings literally handed over to us and given to us completely for free. And we're able to walk into these buildings, turn on the lights, and start working for the Lord. And uh, the Lord opened up this opportunity when the first missionaries went back in 2006 and 2010, they started the Crown Christian Heritage Trust. And what the the trust is, it is a British-based charity, um, but it is basically, it is the legal head. It is just the way that we're able to get into the country, but also it's a way that anything that you can think of, buses, property, buildings, can all be donated to the Crown Christian Heritage Trust completely for free, and we're able to just walk into these buildings and start working for the Lord. And uh, if I can kind of put that in context, how amazing that is. I mean, free buildings, that's amazing regardless. But the United Kingdom... Just the country of England itself could fit within the state of Alabama. The United Kingdom, uh, all four countries, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, they could all fit within the state of Oregon. And yet there's over 68 million people. So if you think about a small island, smaller than the state of Oregon, with over 68 million people in it, it, buying property is almost impossible. And buying buildings is almost impossible. We know, my wife and I know of missionaries who have been in England for over 50 years. They've never owned a church building because they can't afford it. But the Lord has opened this door where we're having these buildings literally just handed to us for free. So um, as I said, the team, they've had six buildings. Right now they're uh, in talks with three other church buildings that have just recently closed down. The church is in them, but they don't want to see them closed down completely. And here's the reason, church, and I'll tell you this and then I'll apply it to us here in America. You know, the United Kingdom at one time, it was the spiritual center of our world. Some of the greatest teachers, preachers, missionaries, men like Charles Spurgeon, the Wesley brothers, Robert Murray McShane, Evan Roberts, you could go down the list. They came from this part of the world. Our English Bible comes from this part of the world. 
And in a country where at one point over 80% of the population attended church regularly, today less than 5% of adults attend church. And understand, that's not just the churches we would agree with. That's everything across the board. And what's scarier than that is, church, less than 1% of children attend Sunday school. Now, Charles Spurgeon, he, he said, where there are no lambs, there will soon be no sheep. And when the church is not reaching the next generation, that church will very soon cease to exist. So we must be reaching the next generation. And today, if you were to go to the UK, you would not find a Christian nation. You would find a post-Christian nation. You would find two generations of people that know nothing about God. And if I could tell you just, just quickly the need in the United Kingdom. When a country turns its back on God, church, understand, when a country turns its back on God, it allows all evil in. The United Kingdom, at, in their history, they have turned their back on God. And you know that today, society has declined to the point where 12-year-olds are legally allowed to smoke cigarettes as long as someone that's 16 years old or older buys them for them. You'll walk down the street and you'll find 10-year-olds that are standing on the corners just smoking cigarettes. Their parents are nowhere to be found. The hardest thing about children's work in the United Kingdom is finding the parents of the child just so that you can get permission for the child to come to Sunday school. But what's scarier than that is that children as young as eight years old are allowed to consume alcohol in their home as long as their parents are present. You say, what country would ever let eight-year-olds drink alcohol? I'll tell you, it's the country that turns their back on God. It's the country that allows everything else in. That's the country. Now, you say, well, why do you say all that? Two reasons. Of course, we want you to pray for us. We ask that you pray for us. We want you to have an idea of where we're going. But more than that, church understand they say that America is only 10 to 15 years behind England. We're 10 to 15 years behind the country where 12-year-olds can smoke and 8-year-olds can drink alcohol. We're 10 to 15 years behind the behind a country where children have never heard the name Jesus Christ before. All they know of Jesus Christ is that that's a curse word. If you say Jesus Christ, they say, why do you talk like that? You say, well, he's a man. And they, and they say, he's a man? Jesus Christ is a real person? They've never even heard that he existed, let alone that he's the son of God, that he died on the cross to pay for their sins. They've never heard any of this. Understand, our country is 10 to 15 years behind a country where there are adults that have never heard the word of God read before. You can go up and knock on a door just like we would do here. You can share the gospel. And one of our missionary friends that we're going to be working with, he had this happen to him. He finished sharing the gospel. He finished reading God's word. And the British adult, British man stopped him and said, that book you just read, he said, that sounds so nice. And then he said, did you write that book? He'd never heard the word of God read before. This wasn't an immigrant. This wasn't a child. This was an adult British man. And church, that's where our country is going if we don't stand on God's word. If we don't live the Christian lives and teach the next generation to live the Christian lives that God has for them to live, our country will be where their country is now. And church, I've seen where we're headed. It's not good. But as bad as that sounds, and as much as I want... You all please to pray for us and that here in America, we need to stand for God's word and stand on God's word. God's doing an amazing work. These buildings are literally being given to us. Gracie and I, we have a desire, three main points that God's given us a desire to do. We have a desire to plant New Testament churches. We have a desire to start evangelistic Sunday schools to reach that next generation for Christ. And lastly, we have a, a great desire to reach international people. And uh, if I can just explain that last point quickly and then we'll open God's word. Um, the Lord has given my wife and I a great burden, as I said, for international people, but he's not led us to the Middle East. He's not led us to parts of Asia or maybe you could say the 1040 window. 
um, where these Eastern religions are the prevalent religion. He's not led us to places that have Sikhs and Hindus, Buddhists and Muslim people, but people from all over the world have moved to England. If I could say it like this, from our Jerusalem, we can reach the uttermost because there are people from all over the world there. But understand, these people, they moved to the United Kingdom. They don't know a word of English. They don't know how to speak English at all. About the only words in English they know are the word English and the word free. And so we offer free English classes and they see free, they see English, so they come in. But if you think about it, if you um, invite these people to church, they won't normally come in and sit down and listen to the word of God preached. So we started praying, Lord, give us an opportunity to reach these people. And uh, the Lord led us to start free English classes. So normally on Tuesdays or Thursdays, maybe a Friday in the churches, We'll hold a free English class. We'll invite these people in. We'll teach them a grammar lesson, teach them how to comprehend English, teach them how to speak English, and then we'll give them a reading lesson straight from God's Word. And we teach them how to read English by reading through the Bible. And if you understand teaching English, when you read for comprehension, you have to explain things. And so as we read through God's Word, we explain these passages to them. Think about this. If you're reading through the life of Joseph, What an amazing life to explain to someone who doesn't know a personal God. You explain how Joseph was betrayed and forgotten and sold and lied about and thrown into jail and forgotten again. You you read all about through the life of Joseph and how every earthly person turned their back on him. And then you say, but but God stayed faithful to him through it all. And in the end, God remembered him and God lifted him up. You know, church, when you begin to explain these things, it's almost like these people, their eyes widen. A light bulb almost turns on. They've never heard that there's a God in heaven that loves them. They've never heard of a personal God. The only God they know is a God of wrath, a God of anger. Now, we have a God of holy anger and righteous uh, righteous anger and holy wrath, but we also have a God where the Bible says we have a God of love, a God that is love. And as you explain this to these people, church, understand it's the most amazing thing. We've seen Sikhs, Hindus, Buddhists, and even Muslim people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And Gracie and I, we have a desire to go and to plant these churches and then through these churches start these English classes just as another ministry to reach out into these communities and to reach these people for, for Christ. And uh, church, we'd ask that you pray for us. You know, my wife and I, we started deputation back in August of um, 2019. And we said, we're going to be done by the end of 2020. We're going to be done and on our way. And uh, if you remember anything about March of 2020, something took a big turn. <laughs> um, and we started praying when we, we were sent home. Churches were closed. Two and a half months, we were home. We said, Lord, what do you have us to do? How can we keep going? And I just prayed, Lord, would you give us a, a verse just to encourage us in this time? And the Lord led me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, verse 24, where the Bible says, faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. Now understand, church, that's a great encouragement. Because God has called my wife and I to the United Kingdom. And because he's called us there, the Bible says, faithful is he that calleth. You know what? You know what an amazing thing is? God's faithfulness does not, is not contingent upon my faithfulness. God's faithfulness to me is not contingent upon my faithfulness to him. God's faithfulness is contingent upon his character because he is faithful. And God encouraged me so much with that verse. And church, can I tell you how faithful he is? When we started, when, when, when COVID started, we went home, we were at 30% of our support. 
We thought, Lord, how are we going to get our support? I'd like to encourage you today by telling you we're at 85% support. We've had over half of our support, 55% of our support come in during COVID. We've had more come in during COVID than before COVID. You say, how does that happen? We have a faithful God. But if I can leave the last verse, the verse after that with you, that next verse that says, brethren, pray for us. Church, understand we need your prayers. Gracie and I, we understand that we could go to the United Kingdom, we could work for 50 years, do everything we possibly can, work as hard as we can in our own strength, and we'll accomplish absolutely nothing for eternity. But with God's help, with God's people praying, we can see God accomplish great and mighty things. We have a great and mighty God, and we'll see Him accomplish great and mighty things. So we ask that you'd pray for us. Our goal right now is to be at full support by April of this year, just in the next two months, and then to start our visa application. Um, Lord willing, I will be ordained the end of April, the beginning of May, and then we will just be waiting on the British government to uh, pack everything up and move over. And uh, so we just ask that you pray for us. When we get there, we'll work underneath one of the missionaries that are there for about a year, maybe a little more, a little less, and then as the Lord opens the door, we'll go out and begin to plant churches as God opens up more of these buildings uh, to plant these churches. But we ask that you pray for us. If there's any answers or questions that we can answer after the service, please uh, come by let us know. We've got a, a table in the back with some prayer cards on it. And uh, I will say this, if you have any hard questions, understand, church, I am, I am your easy question guy. Any questions you've got that are easy, I'm the guy. My wife, she grew up in England. Her parents were missionaries there for 10 years. From the time that she was four until she was 13, she lived there. And so any hard questions, the resident scholar is over there. So anything hard, she's got the answer for that. Amen? Amen. Uh, if you would take the word of God, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Now, you hear that verse, and I don't want you to turn me off, or you hear that passage. We're not going to the end of the chapter. Don't worry. I'm sure you've had about 100 missionaries come through and preach Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. We're going to start at the beginning of the chapter with uh, verse number 1. Matthew 28, as you're turning there, I do want to thank Pastor for the opportunity to preach. I don't take it lightly. And uh, if you would, stand with me as we read God's Word. And just before we read Matthew 28, can I read one verse to you in Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 1. Keep that phrase in your mind, run with patience the race. Matthew 28, verse number 1. The Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. This evening, with the Lord's help, I'd like to look at this thought. Run your race. 
I'd like to focus in on the end of verse number 6, the beginning of verse number 7, where this angel speaks to these ladies and he says, Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee so much for this day. And Father, we thank Thee for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to come together to worship Thee and to hear from Thy Word. And Father, this night we we pray that Thy Holy Spirit would be amongst us. Father, we understand in our natural state we cannot comprehend Thy Word. We need Thy Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. So Father, we pray that You would open our hearts, open our minds, open our understanding to hear Thy Word. Father, I ask that you would help me as I would preach that word. Pray that you would calm my nerves and bridle my tongue. Help me to say only what you would have me to say. Father, I pray that you would do what I cannot, and that is speak to the heart of your children. Dear God, I pray if there is one here in this place or listening to the sound of my voice that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that this evening they would understand that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, that they would trust Christ and be saved. Father, we love you. May your will and your way be accomplished this evening. We pray this in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. As we come here to Matthew chapter 28 and we look at this topic, run your race, I'd like to think about our Christian lives tonight. Church, every one of us as a Christian, every one of us as a human being, we are running a race. I understand this evening, if you're here and you're breathing, there's a race you're running that you have no choice but to run. That's basically called life. You're here. You're alive. You have this race to run. And in life, there are races we don't have a choice. We must run them. And in life, we have choices that we can decide, races we can decide to run, races we can decide not to run. You can decide maybe what what job you want to pursue. You can decide maybe what church you're going, the Lord is going to lead you to be a part of. You can decide maybe what, if you're in school, what degree you're going to focus on. You can decide where you'll shop during the day, where you won't shop during the day. There are choices we have. And the fact of the matter is, there are some choices and some races in this life that we have to decide from the beginning we will not run in them. I was reminded of the um, Olympic runner, but also the missionary, Eric Little. Eric Little was born in Tianjin, China. And at the age of eight, he was born to uh, British missionaries. At the age of eight, he was sent back to London to um, go to a Christian boarding school. And by the time he finished at that Christian boarding school, he had excelled through the ranks of his local sports teams. He was the captain of the rugby team, the captain of the cricket team. He was the fastest man in the school, fastest boy in the school. And because of his accomplishments, he was sent to the, Ed- the University of Edinburgh to race there. And while he was there at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, he broke the British record for the 100-meter sprint, ran in under 10 seconds. I don't know about you, but college has made me to the point where I couldn't run that thing anywhere near 10 seconds. But he broke the British record, and because of that race, he was then selected for the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris, France. Maybe you know the story. He shows up in Paris, France, And he comes to the Olympic Games, and they begin the first preliminary heats. And one of those first preliminary heats was held on a Sunday. And Eric Little, he goes to those men who are in charge of the race, and he says, look, we've got a problem. He said, I'm a a runner, I'm a racer, that's true, but before I'm a racer, I'm a Christian. And God has told me to remember his day. And I can't go against God's command. He said, yes, 
this this race is on a Sunday, but I've got to be in church on Sunday. And they said, you're crazy. You've got the gold medal in the bag. Literally no one in the world has run as fast as you've run. You've pulled the record. You just have to run close to that. You've got it. You're a shoe-in for the gold medal. He said, well, before I'm a racer, I'm a Christian. Church, I understand there's certain races in this life we should not run. There's certain choices that have to be made that we say, I am going to honor God as a Christian and not live for this world. There are certain races we cannot run, but may I say there's one race that we all have to run? And that race as God's children that we all have to run is carrying the gospel message to a lost and dying world. Can I ask you a question? Who was the very first person to carry the gospel message? Amen. She jumped out. I was, I was going to draw that out. Oh, man. Let me say this. It's not the disciples. It's not Peter. It's not James. It's not John. Can I back up just a minute? We already have the answer, but let's back up. Amen. Thank you, sister. Who was the last person at the cross that day Jesus Christ was crucified? We know Joseph of Arimathea was there, that he begged Pilate for the body of Christ. But if you back up to chapter 27, you'll find out that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they stood there back away from the cross and they watched this happen. You know, when Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus Christ's body off the cross and took him to the tomb, the Bible says these ladies followed him there. That after Joseph of Arimathea placed Christ's body in the tomb, that these ladies sat over against it and watched the tomb. That after three days after the Sabbath day, that the very first people to come back to the tomb was none of the disciples. It was these two ladies. And can I give you a great principle of God's word? God honors those that are faithful to him. God honors those that are faithful to him. And these ladies, they were faithful for to follow and to serve and to do everything they could to help the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. And even after his death and his burial, they were faithful. And God rewarded them that they were the very first people to carry the gospel message. As we look at running this race, I'd like to look at these ladies and take their example. Would you notice firstly with me here the employment to run? The employment to run. Look at verses 6 and the beginning of verse 7. The angel is speaking. He says, he is not here, speaking of Christ, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Notice these two phrases. Come, see the place. Go quickly and tell. May I say that the first phrase is the call of every single person on the face of the earth. Every single person is told and commanded, come and see. Every single person saved or lost is always told, come see what Christ has done. And may I say, before we go quickly to tell, we must come and see. Before we can tell others about what Christ can do in in their life, we have to know what he can do in our life. Pastor Sexton at Temple Baptist and Crown College, he says all the time, the noun comes before the verb. We must be a witness before we can go witness. We must know that he's changed our life before we can go tell others what he's done in their life. You know, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 13, he says, We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. He's quoting the psalmist in Psalm 116, where the psalmist says, God saved my feet from slipping. He saved my eyes from crying. He saved my life. From dying, And because God has done this, I'm going to tell people what he's done. 
And Paul says, look, just like the psalmist said it, I say it. Because I've believed, now I'm going to speak. And church, may I say the employment to run is the same for every Christian. We're told, come and see the place. But then notice this, we're told, and go quickly and tell his disciples. Understand, church, this knowledge of Christ cannot just sit dormant in our minds. This good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God's Son came to earth and lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was buried, rose again the third day, and has ascended up in the heavens, seated on the right hand of God. This news cannot just stay within us. We have to go quickly and tell. We can't just allow this to stay within us. We must go and tell. So we see the employment to run. But notice, secondly, here, the example for running. Notice the example for running in verse number eight. The Bible says, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciple. Yes, sir. Amen. Before we look here at verse number eight in this example for running, can I say this, church? We must have a reason to run. We, we can't just run for no reason. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, if you see me running, you, you better run as well because either something really good's in front of me or something really bad's behind me. I don't run for no reason, right? I, I, I gave that example at our sending church and I had a lady come up to me after the service and she said, I told God, Lord, I will run the next time I see a runner who's smiling. I ain't seen one of them smile yet. I'm not running. It's no fun. Right? We must have a reason to run. You know, Paul, he said in 1 Corinthians 9, I therefore so run not as uncertainly. I'm not running just to run. He says, I I don't fight just beating the air. There's a reason that I'm running. And may I say, we must have a reason to run. We must know why we're going. I, I think of my time in the United Kingdom we were setting up for Camp Victory. It's a summer camp we have for two weeks every summer. And one of the veteran missionaries there, Pastor Derek Moreland, he pastors the Oxford Baptist Chapel. He came to us one of the early mornings while we were setting up the week before camp. And he, he set us all down in a room, about 20 workers. He got out a big whiteboard. He listed everything that had to be done. He divvied us all up into teams. He divvied all the work up. And then he prayed and we were about to leave. And he said, now wait, I've got something to say. He said, if you've not spent time with God this morning, he said, I don't want to see your face outside of this house before you find a quiet place. You get on your knees, you read God's word, you pray, you spend time alone with God, then you come help us. work." And you know, as a young Bible college student, I did, I did not understand that at all. But he explained it to me later. I thought, what does me mowing the lawn have to do with spending time with God? What does me setting up a tent for a camper have to do with me reading my Bible? And he came to me later. He said, Jonathan, you don't understand. He said, if your mind isn't right and if you don't have a goal, if there's not a reason you're working, then all you'll do is you'll get outside and you'll distract someone else. You'll cause strife with someone else. You know, if we're running this race, but we don't know why we're running the race, all we're going to do is find the next person who passes us and we'll stop him and say, wait a minute, why are we running? And you know what we've done? We've stopped someone else from running. The church, we must have a reason why we're running. Notice the example. Maybe you say, I want to run. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher. May I say, we must be quick. (laughs) We got to be quick in going. Dear Christian, understand. Maybe you're here and you've only been saved a very short time. 
You've only just trusted Christ as your Savior in the last week, the last month, the last year. You say, Brother Jonathan, I can't, I can't get up and preach God's Word. I don't have a four-year Bible degree. I, I don't have a 16-week series of how to lead someone to Christ. Can I say, those things are good, but you don't need them. You can just tell someone what God has done in your life. We must be quick and going. You know, I met someone last Sunday. We were at a church in Georgia. This man does not have a single degree. Doesn't have any college experience. I've got, I'm not bragging here. I'm more putting myself down. I've got a bachelor's degree from Crown, a master's degree, and I'm working on a second one. And you know what? That man was a soul winner that made me ashamed of myself. You know what? He didn't have the degrees, but he had a reason to go when he was going. And he was telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. These ladies, they went quick. We must be quick and going. Not just quick and going. We must be quick and telling. Understand, church, when the Holy Spirit lays it on your heart to invite someone to church or to share the gospel with someone, you can't beat around the bush. Do you know that that half obedience or incomplete obedience or um, delayed obedience is still disobedience? When God tells us to do something, we must do it now. Can I, can I share an illustration with you? I've got a track here. I have a stack of these in the car. And as we travel, we travel to different churches. I've got about seven different church tracks in the door of our car. And you know, how many of you have ever gone through a drive through You get to that first ordering thing. You order your cheeseburger, your coffee, whatever it may be. You go to that first window. You pay for your food. You get to that second window. And the Holy Spirit says, invite that person to church. I mean, that's why they're there, right? They're in the door for that reason. How long does it take to pull out a track and say, we'd love to have you come to church? And inside that track, it's got the gospel clearly printed. And yet, as soon as you pull up, I say you, church, understand, I'm talking about me. As soon as you pull up to that second window and the Holy Spirit says, invite them to church, immediately your flesh says, you don't know who they are. You don't know what they're going through. They could already be a Christian and think you're crazy. They could be an atheist and think, I don't want that. I don't want that from you. I mean, if they're an atheist, they might mess with your food. You don't want to invite them to church. I mean, there's COVID. You don't want to, nobody wants to hold a piece of paper that you've had in your car, take it into a restaurant. And before you know it, that track stays right there in the door. You get your food, you drive away, and the Holy Spirit is eating you up inside because you didn't obey God. Church, when I say it only takes a second to say, hey, we'd love to have you come to church. We must be quick. We must obey the Lord. These ladies, they went quickly, not just quickly. Notice they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear. Now, church, I I believe 100 percent they were afraid when they ran away. I mean, they just saw an angel. (laughs) If scripture is anything to go by, the angel had six wings. I don't know how many eyes. And it may have looked strange. And they very well may have ran away afraid. But can I say this as we apply it to our lives? This fear this is a this is a holy fear. This is a seriousness about the job that God has given us to do. May I tell you, there is no more important job in the world than God's children carrying the gospel message. There is no greater job you could do in your life. You say, I, I'm I'm the head of the secret service for the president. And I'd say this is more important. You you fill in the blank, whatever it may be. And I would tell you, sharing the gospel is more important. And we must be serious about this. You know, in Ezekiel 33, we hear about the watchman. And God tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I set you as a watchman over the people. 
And he says, Ezekiel, understand the watchman stands on the wall. And if the watchman stands on the wall and he sees the enemy coming and he warns the people, his job is done, right? If they obey, that's great. If they listen, that's great. If they don't listen, but he's warned them, their blood is on their own hands. But then what does the Bible say? But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and he does not warn the people and the people die, then the people's blood is on the watchman's hands. Church, may I say this is a very serious calling. God has placed us here for such a time as this. You say, I wish I lived in a time where people wanted to go to church. Can I say, God put you here in this time for this reason, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ with these people? Understand that this is, this is the greatest responsibility we have. And we must run with a holy fear. Pastor Sexton, he says so often, there is one great fear that removes all lesser fears. Our fear of God removes fear of man. Our fear of God removes fear of government. Our fear of God removes the fear of atheists. Our fear of God removes the fear of agnostics. Our fear of God removes the fear of those who might come against us. May I say, our fear of God removes everything else. In church, we must run with fear. They ran quickly with fear. Notice this, and great joy. Now, this, this is this is the flip side. Church, you cannot share the gospel grudgingly. Can I say that again? <laughs> you cannot share the gospel grudgingly. Well, the Lord has just changed my life, and it's just the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm the most excited person in the world because Jesus Christ saved me from hell, saved me from sin. I'm going to heaven when I die. Can I say that's not very joyful? That's not very happy. Church, we hold the greatest news the world has ever heard. We ought to be happy about it. Why is it that Christian people are known as some of the most angry and irritable people in the world? Why don't we have the joy of Christ? It's one part of the fruit of the Spirit. If you're saved here tonight, God's Holy Spirit is indwelling you at this moment. You're a child of God. God is living within you. And the fruit that he brings into your life is not just love, but it's joy. My wife, she worked at Shoney's over here on Emory Road while she was in school. And she had a few co-workers, uh, maybe just one. I don't remember exactly how many, but she had a co-worker that told her, you know what my, my least favorite day to work is? I'm sure you can fill in the blank. Sunday. Why is Sunday the least favorite day for most waitresses and waiters to work because of the church crowd. The church crowd that comes in doesn't like how the food is, doesn't like the timing and leaves the worst tip they got all week. Church, we ought to go with joy. We ought to be happy. We need to run this race showing that God has changed our life. These ladies, they ran with joy. But notice this last part of verse 8. They ran quickly with fear, with great joy. Notice this. And did run to bring his disciples word. I love this part. Church, you cannot be a soldier. We heard a song. You cannot be a soldier in the Lord's army without your sword. You know, these ladies, they were told to run bringing the word. They did not have all of the written word, but may I say we have every single thing that God wants us to know. This is the completed word of God. There is nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take away from it. This is not everything God knows, but it's everything he wants us to know. And it's all right here. You know, church, back in the early times, I'm studying Islamic studies right now for my master's degree. 
Back in the early times in the Middle East, you know what the Christians and the Jews were known as? They were known as people of the book. Because the Islamic people and the other Eastern religions, they were all illiterate. They couldn't read and they didn't have holy writings. But the Jews and the Christians, they were people of the book. Because they had their God's writing and they knew it. We need to be people of the book again. Charles Spurgeon, I've been to his church there in London, England, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. He was preaching one time and I'm telling you what he said. I'm not saying this to you. So if you get mad at me, when you get to heaven, you can take it up with Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was preaching to his congregation. He slapped his Bible down on the end of the desk that he preached from. And he said, there's enough, there's enough dust on the cover of some of your Bibles to write the word sin. I didn't say it. He said it. But then he said this, church. He said, a single verse in your mind and in your heart is better than a Bible on the shelf that never gets opened. May I say a single verse that God can use in us and through us is better than a nice, pretty Bible that sits on the desk and never gets opened and is just collecting dust. Church, these ladies, they ran bringing the word. We must run bringing the word. We see the example for running lastly and quickly. Notice this with me. We see the employment to run. We're told to come and see, to go quickly and tell. We see the example for running. They ran quickly with fear, with great joy. They ran bringing the word. But lastly, notice the encouragement while they were running. Church, this is the most amazing part. The encouragement while running. Look at verse number nine. The Bible says, and as they went, may I say this, they obeyed. They went. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them. You know what the encouragement is while we run this race? Every step of the way, God meets us. Every step of the way, He walks with us. Every step of the way, He's promised He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But Jesus met them in the way. Can I say as we run, God meets us in the way? Notice what He says to them in verse 10. Look at the encouragement He gives. Verse 10, Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Church, doesn't the world need to hear that today? Be not afraid. Doesn't, excuse me, doesn't the church need to hear that today? Be not afraid. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, church, understand there is a fine line between faith and foolishness. I have the faith that God will keep me safe through this COVID-19, but that doesn't mean, excuse me, that I'm going to go lick every door handle. There's a fine line between faith and foolishness. But the Bible has clearly commanded us, be not afraid. Jesus Christ said, look, you just saw that angel. I'm sure it's scary, but let me tell you, be not afraid. Then notice what he says. He says, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee. Now notice this. He comforted them. He said, be not afraid. Secondly, he confirmed what they were doing. What did the angel tell them to do? The angel told him, Go tell his brethren he's going into Galilee. Jesus meets him in the way and says, hey, look, I know the angel told you to go into Galilee. I'm going to tell you, go tell my brethren I go into Galilee. He says, look, this is what you were told to do. I just want to confirm this is what you're supposed to do. May I say when we walk in obedience to God's command, every step of the way, he says, child, this is where I want you. We take that next step. Child, this is right where I want you to be. We invite that person to church. Child, this is right where I want you to be. He confirms every single step that we take. Church, he doesn't just comfort us. He confirms what we're doing. But then notice the last part of verse 10. 
He says, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee. Notice this. And there shall they see me. He doesn't just comfort them. He doesn't just confirm what they're doing. But he promises that he would go before them and he'd be waiting at the end. Church, can I say this? The greatest encouragement we have is that on this race, on this race, when we are coming to the finish line, here's the finish line, Jesus Christ is standing on that finish line. And he says, child, I'm right here. I'm right here waiting for you, child. You can do this. Run your race. I'm here waiting. Church, he promises that he's gone before us. You know, he's been tempted every way that we've been tempted. Yet what? Yet without sin. You say, he's never had the temptations I've had. Do you know the more you resist temptation, the stronger the temptation gets? He resisted it all the way to the end until the temptation stopped. He's had more temptation than we'll ever have, and yet he was tempted, yet without sin. Church, he's taken every step of this race before us, and he's there at the end, and he's waiting for us to get there. And this is the great encouragement that we have. He says, look, I'm going into Galilee. You tell them I'm going. And when they get there, they'll see me. Can I go back to where we started? Hebrews chapter 12. Maybe you say, well, brother, I understand I'm supposed to run the race, but I don't really understand how. I see the example, but I don't really understand why. God answers all those questions in Hebrews chapter 12. We read verse 1 speaking about running the race with patience, but then notice the first three words of verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. Church, that's it. That's the race. Why do I run? (laughs) Looking unto Jesus. Where do I run? Looking unto Jesus. How do I run? Looking unto Jesus. And church, when we get to the end of this, may I ask you this? When you get to the end of this life, do you want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant? I want to hear them. Can I tell you, if you want to hear those words, run your race. Obey the commands and live the life that God has given you to live. May I say this? Your pastor cannot run your race. You have to. And you can't run his race. He has to. I can't run your race. You can't run my race. I can't run my wife's race. Every one of us is God's children. We have to run our own race. I wonder, are you running your race today? Maybe you say, I've just been saved. I didn't even know I was supposed to be running. Now's a great time to start. Maybe you say, I've been running, but I've been running uncertainly. I don't really know what I've been doing. Here's the example of Scripture. Run quickly. Don't don't delay. Go bringing the word. Go with fear. Be serious. Go with joy. Be happy. Maybe you say, I've been running for a long time. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I've just gotten discouraged. Can I say, he's encouraged you. He's here with you. He's taking every step of the way, and yet at the same time, he's already walked it and he's waiting at the end. Church, we got to run our race. We've got to share the good news of Jesus Christ with this world. I, I love speaking to children. My wife is much better at teaching children than I am. But oftentimes, I'll, I'll come before children and I'll say, Now, kids, I want you to imagine something with me. you got to really use your imagination. First off, I'm really smart. you got to really use your imagination. Then... You've got to imagine that I found the cure to the world's most disastrous disease. In scripture times, it could have been leprosy. Today, we could say cancer, or really what's on everybody's mind is COVID. I've found the cure. I write down that cure, 
And then after I write down that cure, I do this. And I don't share it with a single person. And I always ask those children, kids, what would you think of that? Now you can imagine, I got, I had one kid that he said some really mean stuff to me. I was, I was a little hurt. <laughs> but church, understand, we hold the cure to the worst disease the world has ever seen. You know, they talk about COVID and you can get different um, things and I'm not trying to be political, but they say our body's 99 something as far as immunity. With the vaccine, I think they said 80 something. I don't know, something around there. You're talking about disease that most people who get it survive it, most. We just had our church treasurer, our sending church, pass away this past weekend. I'm not trying to make light of it. But we talk about a disease that has a very high uh, uh, rate of people who survive it. Can I tell you about a, a disease that from the beginning of time has a 100% death rate? That every single person who has lived on this earth that is a sinner has died because of it? That the wages of sin is death? And yet, church, can I also tell you about the cure we have for that disease? We hold the cure. Why are we putting it in our pocket? We hold the cure. Why are we leaving it at home? We hold the cure. Why are we ashamed to share it? Church, we've got to run our race. Let's run our race tonight. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee again for Thy Word. Father, we thank Thee for the truths that are found in Father, I pray this night that You would stir the heart of Your children. Lord, may we get on fire for you and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, I pray again, if there is one here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray this evening they would understand that, they're in, that they are a sinner. Father, that they are in need of a Savior, but dear Lord, I pray that they would understand Jesus Christ has paid for their sins. Father, I ask that you would convict their heart by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, may they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Be with our pastor now as he leads in this time of invitation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.